I would like for us to do two things in this message. First, I want to introduce you to a man from the Bible and give his story. But the second thing I want to do along with that and as a part of that is to kind of pull apart a passage of Scripture that for a lot of years I just skipped over. Now, let's be honest. You have some of those passages, too. You start reading, you get in the middle of it, and you wonder what in the world, especially the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, any of those in the New Testament, you get into some passages that has this long sentence, and you think, I, I lost where I was. And so sometimes the best way to do that is instead of glossing over it, ignoring it, and going on to the easy, kind of fluffier passages of Scripture, the best thing we can do is to just dig in, pull it apart, understand it kind of word by word, phrase by phrase. And what I've discovered, and I discovered about this passage several years ago, is that some of the deep truths that keep me going come from those difficult passages. Once I take the time to let God teach me piece by piece, word by word, line by line, those are the things that I take with me for the rest of my life that last a lifetime in helping me to walk with God and to obey Him. And so the passage in Second Peter, the first chapter, is the passage that I want us to dig into a couple of paragraphs of it today and just kind of consume it enough that we make it simpler and we understand it at a better level. So first, let's meet this guy. His name is Simon Peter. He was one of the 12 apostles with Jesus Christ when Jesus came to earth and spent three years. He, or spent a lifetime, but spent about three years with, with these men called his disciples or the apostles. Uh, he was a fisherman, rough, hard man, burned by the sun, hands calloused from the salt water, from handling the nets, from all everything to do with fishing. And Jesus came by and said to him, Simon Peter, follow me. And the Bible says that Peter did that immediately. Now, for me, I have some questions. If a guy just comes walking by and says, hey, follow me. I want to know who. I want to know who are you. And I want to know why. Why would you say such a thing to me? I, I have a business here. And then I want to know where. Where are we going? If I'm going to follow you, where in the world are we going? Maybe Peter asked those things. I don't know. But the Bible doesn't record that he asked those. It just simply says he left his nets. He left his fishing business and followed Jesus. And in the course of that approximately three years, he heard Jesus teach. He was with Jesus daily. Uh, they traveled everywhere with him as he taught, as he healed the sick, as he did all kinds of things. They saw him raise the dead. Uh, and there, there was one time when they were in a boat, those closest to Jesus, and a storm came up, and they were fearing for their lives, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they awakened him, and he just simply said to the storm, Peace, be still. And it calmed. Then there was another time when they were in the boat, and they saw something or someone walking toward them on the water. They weren't sure if it was a ghost, an apparition, or a real person. But they started to think it looked kind of like this Jesus. And so Peter said, Jesus, if that's really you, 
tell me to come to you on the water. Tell me to walk on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Now, this guy had some stories to tell his kids and his grandkids, don't you think? He would, he would tell them stories about, well, there was this time when Jesus did this, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did this, and kind of the top of the heap was, oh, and you've got to hear this. Well, when somebody starts a story with that, you know, this is the story of all stories. And he would tell them about the time when Jesus said, Peter, come on, walk on the water. And you know he had to get goosebumps every time he told someone about that experience because no one before or since has walked on water. Not in the middle of the sea. Not in the middle of the ocean. But there were some dark days in Simon Peter's life. There came the time when Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to die. But don't fear. I'll, I'll live again. And he tried to explain to them something that they could hardly grasp. And he said, and, and some of you are going to fall away because of the hardship. And Peter, ever the brash one, said, Jesus, I don't care who falls away from you. I never will. And Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And I know Peter went into that night thinking, never, I will not do that. He denied Jesus twice. And then just before the rooster crowed in the morning, he denied him a third time. And this time, to be emphatic, he swore, he cursed and said, I don't know that man. Now that's a dark, dark night. Not just with light, but spiritually. That's a hard dark time for a guy who loved Jesus, who walked with him, and then denies him in one night, three times. Some hard times. So, so what do we think happens to that, a guy like that? Can, can God use a guy like that? Uh, it's easy to imagine God using a guy like that uh, be, before that denial. But three times in one night, the Lord of the universe is on trial is being put to death, prepared to put to death. And he curses and swears he doesn't know him. And he has nothing to do with him. It's good news. This is the amazing part of it to me. So when Jesus came back to life, I imagine Peter coming to meet with Jesus the first time when, when he was with those followers of Jesus. Jesus coming into the room. If Peter was anything like you or me, don't you think he had to have this question in his mind? I wonder if Jesus is going to accept me as part of his group when he comes back. Because I failed him so miserably. And here's the really good news. Jesus forgave him. He totally restored him. In fact... Later, after Jesus had gone to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, when there were thousands gathered, guess who was the one to stand up and speak the message? Simon Peter. And thousands believed on Jesus Christ because of the truth Simon Peter spoke that day. Then God chose him to write two of the books 
of the New Testament. Now, that's a guy who has to understand that when you fail miserably, God can and will restore you. That's the guy I want us to learn from this weekend. In 2 Peter chapter 1, there's a passage that, like I said earlier, I've skipped over for years. And in this passage, there's two things, I believe, that Simon Peter does. First, he spends the first few sentences, first few verses, laying a foundation for us to, so that we will really believe that we have the ability, and we'll, I'll show you why in just a moment, that we have the ability, when he gets to verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, he's going to paint the picture of a mountain, a mountain of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we come to that mountain, often we do what I was tempted to do for so long, and still some days am tempted to do that very thing. I look at that whole list of things that Simon Peter says God will do in me and through me that he wants to do when I obey him, and I go, that's just too high. I can't climb that. Cannot possibly. And I want to show you how this guy who failed miserably learned how to once again climb that mountain. So let's launch into this. Beginning 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll leave the, the verses of Scripture up there for a while because I'm going to read and talk through them in a, in a little different way. I want to just pull it apart, pull out words, pull out phrases to show you what the Apostle is teaching us that we desperately need to know, every one of us, beginning with me, that we need to know in order to believe that we can. Just like Peter, he said, Lord, do you think I can ever be used again? And Jesus said, oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And God, will you restore me? Will you love me again? And Jesus said, yes, I will. And so I, that's one of the things I want us to learn and take away from here. Walk out of here really believing today. So he starts, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Okay? And then he's going to tell us to whom he's writing this letter, to whom he's writing this encouragement. To those who have obtained a faith, okay, that's all of us who have been born again, all of us who have repented of sin and turned and believed on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's clear here the apostle Simon Peter is writing to everyone who calls themselves a believer born-again person who has received Christ as Lord and Savior, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Whoa. I don't know what you think, but most days I do not think the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, the Apostle James, and so on, and so on, and so on, those great men of God who did the work of the New Testament. They were with Jesus. And so most days, if we're honest, we do not see ourselves as having a faith of equal standing with them. And the Holy Spirit led the apostle to tell us, hey, this is coming from one of the guys who failed the most miserably, and God restored me. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, and then he's going to tell us how we obtain that faith that is of equal standing with all the apostles by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not by my good deeds, not by my merit, 
I could never deserve that. And so he's saying right up front, the way you obtain a faith just like the apostles that is on equal standing, on an equal level with all of the apostles, is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because his righteousness, and he gives it to us as a gift. Verse 2, he says, Make grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, most of us have days in our week that we couldn't define with the words grace and peace, right? And so, on any given day, every one of us are thinking at some point, I could use a little more grace and peace here. He says, if you want it multiplied to you, here's how. In the knowledge of, our, of God and of Jesus our Lord. You sound, oh, that's kind of a non-answer. I already know about God, and I still don't have grace and peace. L- let's understand what he means by knowledge, not just head knowledge. It begins with that, but he's talking about intimate, firsthand, personal knowledge in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way we gain that is through his word. That's his design. That's where we get to know him. That's where we know his truth. And when we obey him, we come to know him more and more and more personally and in our own prayer life. And then in a moment we'll see, well, in the next verse, we'll see in addition that Jesus Christ, in verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power is because he comes to live in us. The Bible says Christ in you the hope that you have, the hope of glory. So I don't comprehend completely how this happens. I just know that the Bible teaches it and that it's a truth, that when we give our life to Jesus, His divine power comes. He comes in person to live in us. So the the apostles reminding us that Jesus coming to live in us, giving us His Holy Spirit, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me translate that into Dwayne language. Through Jesus Christ living in me, I have everything I need to do what he asked me to do. It's that straightforward. That's what the Apostle Simon Peter is telling us here. Through the knowledge, there's that word again, that personal, intimate knowledge of him as your Lord and Savior, of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted us to us his precious and very great promises. His, his word and his person, him dwelling in us, is how he grants us these promises so that through them, listen closely, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That does not mean we become little gods, lording it over those minions beneath us. That is not what it's saying at all. We partake in his divine nature because he comes to live in us and he chooses to give us that having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Be clear, that does not mean we escaped once and for all, forever, the desire to ever have a wrong desire. That means every time we have a wrong desire, He provides for us because He lives in us. He provides a way of escape. Pastor Charlie unpacked that for us last week about God always providing a way of escape when we're tempted. Okay? So then in verse 5, let me read part of a sentence here. For this very reason, because of all of this foundation the apostle just built for us, make every effort to supplement your faith. I want to start, stop in the middle of a sentence there. Make every effort. Some translations say, be very diligent. 
to supplement your faith. In other words, you have faith, you believed in Jesus Christ, you were born again, that's the beginning of that. And then he says, I want you to be very diligent to supplement. That means to add to. So, I lost my, I lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. Don't get old, that happens. It just does. And progressively, I might add. So, <laughs> make every effort means to be, not just to be diligent, but to stop being self-satisfied. You see, if I'm satisfied with where I am and I think, hmm, that, that's good enough, then, then Simon Peter is saying, I could have done that too. And just said, hmm, I failed pretty badly, so I'm only going to reach this level. Uh, he says, stop doing that. Don't do that. Be very diligent to add to your faith. And so, I want, this, I want from this man who followed Jesus, who did amazing things, who saw amazing things, who failed miserably, and then was restored, I want us to learn three simple, somewhat mathematical lessons. And, and I left math behind in high school, okay? Took four years in high school, algebra one, algebra two, geometry, trig, math analysis, and somewhere in the middle of trigonometry, I realized we had just, we, the, the, the uh, instructor and I, had just gotten into a place where Dwayne's brain was no longer able to comprehend. I, went, I remember going home telling my mom, I was, I was doing my best to graduate in the top very few of the class, and uh, I went home and told my mom, it's not going to happen. Typical mom, she was like, what? Haven't you been working hard enough? I said, listen, I'm, I'm killing myself, but we have passed what I'm able to comprehend. If I make a perfect grade on the final, I'll have a 75 average for this semester. And she almost passed out because she had this picture of her son making straight A's, which I had been doing for the previous years, kind of, you know. And I said, listen, we're just going to have to give in to this one. It's too late for me to drop the class. The professor, who happened to be my oldest brother's best friend in high school, <laughs> a professor in high school, you're not a professor, are you? Teacher. Somehow, Mr. Bridges gave me a B out of that class. I earned a good, solid, low C. And somehow I walked away with a B. I'll never know how. But that's where I left math, okay? All through college, all through seminary, no more mathematics. I, I, can, I can add up, you know, stuff for a credit card bill and things like that. So let's stay with simple math. Simple, all right? That's me when it comes to mathematics. So I want to use... Really, really simple math, and you'll see how simple I am momentarily to understand the real lessons Simon Peter is teaching us here because of his failure, his restoration, and his deep understanding of what God could do. First, addition gives us confidence. I told you this was not rocket science. Addition gives us confidence. You see, when it comes to obeying God... When I add a right choice, it gives me the confidence that I can add a second right choice, an obedient act. When God says, Dwayne, it's time for your next step that we're always talking about here. And I say, okay, God, because of that foundation the apostle told us about, Jesus lives in me. He's given me forgiveness. He's adopted me into his family, never to unadopt me. And so he lives in me, and he promises to do what he asked me to do. And so I obey. If I add, add, 
had had, then I begin to get confidence that I can add yet again in the next minute, the next hour, the next day when I'm called to obey again. Now, I want to be really, really clear, okay? Some people believe, and sometimes any one of us can fall into this, that there are these really great Christians, and they just started out life with a better willpower than we had. And their family must have been better to them or something because they're better able to make choices, and so they, they're just going to excel better than us, and we just have to accept that we're always going to be kind of mediocre. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Here's what those people have learned. The people any one of us look to as those people are great in faith who walk with God, here's what they've learned. Addition gives them confidence that they can add again the next minute or hour or day when God calls on them to take a next step. They submit to the Lord and allow His power to give them all the power they need to make that next decision of obedience. It doesn't come because we just have such great willpower. It comes because of this foundation the Apostle taught us about and that Jesus lives in us. The Apostle Paul understood this. The one verse I want to use today that's outside of this one passage in 2 Peter. The Apostle Paul knew this clearly. He was trying to distribute the gospel to the known world. And he was working himself nearly to death in order to proclaim the gospel to all the people anywhere he possibly could. And here's what he said in Colossians 1, verse 29. It's one of my guiding verses for life. The apostle said, For this I toil. Now, toil is one of those words we don't use a lot, but it sounds to me like something that makes you want to go to the recliner, grab a cup of iced tea, and sit down and just think about it a while before you do it. The next word does the same thing, struggling. Both of those words sound to me like dirt, sweat, pulled muscles, hard work. And the apostle said, that's what I'm doing to spread the gospel. And then the next phrase is what just really grips me. I'm toiling, I'm struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He just gave me hope that I could do something. Because he said, all the work I did, and, I, and every one of us have to admit that, that in this life, there's no way we're going to measure up to what God accomplished through the apostle Paul. So... The Apostle Paul said, here's how I work so hard. He gives me his strength. That's the message. So when we talk about addition, we can diligently add when we trust him, when we believe he'll do it through us. Now, while we're talking about adding, let's look at the list. And this is the mountain that when I attempt to climb it, often I just give up before I start. Last September, my wife Summer and I went, spent a week in Breckenridge. And the, some, the September before, we had spent a week in Breckenridge. That September of 2014, I had the presence of mind to be sure we took our mountain bikes. Because I love riding the trails uh, uh, up around Breck. The last particular year, in 2015, my wife said, oh, let's not take the bikes. Let's just do some hiking. Bad choice for an old, out-of-shape guy, okay? And then she decided after we got there, we needed to do a 14er. 
Now, I've been to the top of a really easy 13er in Winter Park years ago, decades ago, to be clear. So we started out. I had enough water for a pack mule. I made it by her altimeter to 13.2. My eyes were crossing. My vision was blurring. I was done. And so I stopped and kind of smelled the flowers and visited with the sheep and the mountain goats while my wife made it to the top. And while some 18 and 20-something-year-olds in jogging shorts and flimsy tennis shoes, I didn't see anybody in flip-flops, but I saw kids and everything else with one bottle of water trotting up the mountain. Hey, how you doing? I'm like, get out of here. Couldn't you take another trail? Or maybe I should have just stopped and gotten way off the trail so I wouldn't see that. Okay, don't you think that's the picture of us often when we come to scaling this mountain that the Apostle Simon Peter lists in the next five, uh, four or five verses? Let's look at verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, okay? And let's look at them seriously because here's where most of us check out. When we say, oh, yeah, I can do addition. Uh, and then, then the Apostle says, well, here's the list of things God wants to add in your life. And I get partway into this list, and I go, oh, my gosh. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting blurry vision. I can't breathe. I can't take another step. I'm not ever going to make it to the top of this mountain of Christian characteristics that God wants to put in my life. And Simon Peter is saying to us, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Let's look at this list. So in verse 5, he said, For this very reason, be very diligent. Make every effort to add to, supplement your faith, with virtue. Now, let's clarify the word. Virtue means right actions done so other people can know you're choosing right actions, not to show off, but to say, God will do this in me and through you. It's right choices and right actions that has inherent in it the idea of heroic deeds, kind of. So, so add to your faith, doing right in such a way that other people will go, hey, if that guy can do it, maybe I can. Second, he says, add to those deeds, knowledge. There's that word again, knowledge. That intimate, close, personal fellowship and relationship with God through His Word and through prayer. Add that in a progressive rate. That's why we choose to live journal, because we know that through God's Word that we can add that kind of personal, intimate knowledge. Then he says to that knowledge, add self-control. Now, this is the first place I'm tempted to check out. It's like, well, then I, I, I have to understand that I have to give everything to God and let Him take over because I believe what the Apostle Paul taught about if I'm going to work hard, it's got to be in His strength, God's strength. <coughs> Excuse me. So self-control really means giving up and letting the Holy Spirit control me. Every one of us know when it comes to giving up our own fleshly sinful desires, that's where we struggle deeply. And we're tempted to stop climbing the mountain. But the, the apostle says, yes, you can. Keep going. And then add to your self-control steadfastness. Now, that's not a word we use much, but here's what it means. It means patience. 
It means endurance. It means perseverance. It means don't quit. That's what it means. And most of us need a really big helping of don't quit. And he's, the Apostle Peter says, when I'm saying, ah, I've got to quit, he's trying to help teach me, yes, you can go on. You can keep going. And then add to that steadfastness, that don't quit, add godliness. I don't know about you, but that's where I'm really inclined to stop climbing the mountain. And Simon Peter says, because of what he, the foundation he laid, the training he gave us in those first four verses, yes, you can. Here's what godliness means. It doesn't mean I'm God, that I have some delusional belief that I'm some kind of God. Here's what it means. It means reverence for God. It means loyalty to the Lord above all. It means allowing God to be in charge of my thoughts and actions so that He can control my thoughts and so that my thoughts and my actions are like His thoughts, His actions, because I've given in to Him. And then to that godliness, he says, add brotherly affection. Now, my first tendency is to think, oh, okay, after those tough ones, here's an easy one. Here's what it means. It means kindness toward others, mutual sacrifice. Uh Uh-oh, it just got tougher, didn't it? Mutual sacrifice for others who are in the faith. Here's what it means. Pastor Charlie's been preaching about it. It means here's how we thrive, that we're striving together. We'll sacrifice for others in the faith. And so then the final one, he says, add is love. Not like I love apple pie, like I love football, that kind of thing. This is like the verse that says, God demonstrated his love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died. When we didn't deserve it, when we were rebellious, he loved us. This is a love that keeps on loving when the other person doesn't love back and rejects us. So, that list seems to be a mountain that we climb, and our tendency may be at any point to give up, throw in the towel, go back down to easier breathing, easier territory. But Simon Peter, who was as big or bigger failure than any of us in this room, said, oh yes, you can. You can keep going. Second thing that goes with this in our mathematical lessons is subtraction gives us doubt. Now this will be quick, because subtraction is the option uh, opposite of that diligent adding. So when we stop adding those practices, then just by nature, we are subtracting. Because we can't just kind of go neutral. Well, I'm not obeying God, but I'm not disobeying God. It's one or the other. And so we start to have doubt about whether we're in the family or not. Verse 8, the the apostle says this to us. If these qualities are yours and increasing, if you keep doing them, that addition, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Now, I I hope we're all in the same boat. We don't want to be ineffective. We don't want to be unfruitful. And so the apostle is telling us here that if these are yours and increasing, then here's what will happen. This is a good thing. But the opposite is true. If they are not increasing, if they are decreasing, then you'll be ineffective, you'll be unfruitful, and here's what will happen. You'll begin to doubt that God loves you. You'll begin to doubt that God wants you around. You'll begin to doubt that you're worth anything in the kingdom of God. I imagine, I can only imagine, that Simon Peter did that 
after that night when he denied Jesus Christ. Verse 9, he says, For whoever lacks these qualities, whoever subtracting, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Here's the picture. The person who is subtracting, who is not doing those things, has to progressively move things, words from God and messages from the Lord, closer and closer and closer and closer until, boom, you have to be hit in the head in order to even understand, oh, that was God talking to me. That was God directing me. So we become so nearsighted that eventually we are like a blind person. And so when we stop adding, we start subtracting, we begin to doubt. The third mathematical lesson, it's not quite as straightforward as adding and subtracting, but it's going back to addition. He says, diligence gives us assurance. The apostle challenges us in verse 10. Look at it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he was just writing to guys, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That is, your salvation. To confirm it. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, hey, work hard. Because if you don't work hard, you'll lose that eternal life that Jesus gave you, that he called eternal, that means forever, but somehow you're going to lose it. That's not what he means. He's be diligent to show that you are in the faith. Now, here's how diligence works, okay? Because this is what will give us assurance. Diligence works this way. I have, I'm confronted with the next step. I choose, because Jesus Christ lives in me, to obey. I submit to him and say, I'm not sure I can do this, but because you said I can do it, I'll do it. And I obey, and then I take the next step because I'm kind of confident about that one, and so I'll take the next one and the next one. Diligence is not me looking at you and saying, ooh, they're a pretty good Christian. I think they're probably on a scale of 1 to 10, 9.6, 9.7. Uh, the guy I look at in the mirror, which is me, I'm probably a 3.4. I'll never make a 9.7. That's not the picture. First of all, God's the only one who could assi assign a score. If there is a score, I'm convinced there's not a score. There's only faithfulness, obedience to what God calls us to, and he calls each of us to different things. So here's the real picture. Not comparing ourselves against ourselves. The Bible says that's foolish. But all we're comparing is, God said, Dwayne, take a next step. And I said, I'm going to trust you because you live in me. You're going to give me the power. And I take that step. And then I take a one plus 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 one. I quit looking at other people. I only look at Jesus. And when he says, take another one, I say plus one plus one plus one. That's diligence. And here's what it will give you. It will give you assurance that he's given you eternal life and you're in the family. Now, there's a difference between assurance and security. Listen very closely, please. Security is this. God said in his word, if you repent and believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you confess him, he will give you eternal life. That's fact. That's security. Okay? Assurance, on the other hand here, is how I feel about that fact. Are you tracking with me? So on any given day, 
when my performance gets worse and worse and I subtract and subtract and I begin to, to doubt, I lose assurance that I'm even in the family. And so I'll wake up one day and I'll go, oh, God, do you even still want me around? I've messed up so much so badly. Maybe you don't want me, maybe I shouldn't even pray and bother you with all of this stuff. And you are actually, in fact, a child of God, but you or I are acting like we're not. You got the picture? Security is the fact that we're really a child of God. Our assurance is whether I feel like I am or not or think I am. So we stop worrying about what we feel or what we think, and let's deal with fact. But diligence will help us in that assurance thing. So, Simon Peter, who made one of the greatest mess-ups of all times, tells us when we say, can I add to my faith? Can I add obedience? And Simon Peter would say, yes, you can. And then I say, well, can I add personal, intimate knowledge of God when I study His Word and when I pray? Simon Peter says, yes, you can. And God directed him to say that. Then can I add Holy Spirit control, self-control? He says, yes, you can. Can I add sacrifice for my fellow Christians, loving them deeply? Yes, you can. Can I add godly love to the characteristics God wants to build in me? Yes, you can, because He lives in you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? At the close of every service, we offer the opportunity to receive prayer. I believe God's already been speaking to several people about something that you need prayer for. Our prayer partners are trained. They are called to pray with you about the very things you're wrestling with today. It may be a family or relational struggle. It may be a business decision. It could be a spiritual need. It could be that during the course of this message, you realized that you want to take next steps, but you've been giving up halfway up the mountain. And today, Jesus said to you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Maybe in the course of this sermon, you realized I need that relationship with Jesus Christ. Our prayer partners would love to help you walk through that decision to give your life to Jesus Christ and be born again. Whatever it is, I have no idea what it is, but God does and you do because he's already been speaking to you. In a, in a moment, I'm going to pray. After I pray, I'll ask everyone to stand. When I ask everyone to stand, then that's your time to come to receive prayer. Listen, you won't be walking by yourself there will be others coming with you. There will be prayer partners coming with you to, to pray for you and with you. So you don't have to fear coming alone. Everybody here is on your side, on your team. So in a moment, I'll pray. Then I'll ask you to stand. And you come immediately when we stand to receive the prayer you need. Father, I thank you that we can trust your word. Thank you that your word is truth. And that we can trust you. I pray today for every person here that we would trust you and that we wouldn't give up partway up that mountain thinking it's all up to us, but that we would trust you to give us the strength, the power, the ability we need 
to obey you in our next step. In Jesus' name, amen.